0: Just come together now, come together now. It's time to help each other out, help each other out. Welcome to the Sword Podcast. Sisters this is a platform for sisters love to, love to gather today. and have some empowering conversations. And in the process of these conversations, we help each other overcome some limiting beliefs. I want you to join the conversation. I appreciate your likes, subscribes, and comments. This podcast is sponsored by Stephanie Brown Coaching. If you have any limiting beliefs that are holding you back, feel free to contact the coach at sociotap.com forward slash Steph Brown MD. Okay, I'm going to share a little coaching secret with you. One of the the ways that we can overcome our limiting beliefs is by revising our thoughts with the source saying we get to choose a new thought that expands us and helps us to rise i don't know about you but i can use all of the affirmation that i can get with so much negativity in the world i bet you can too this week's source saying is about embracing the unexpected we have heard how the unexpected can bring some of life's greatest blessings and gifts And since it's our human nature to want routine, it can be really helpful to remind ourselves how exhilarating the unexpected can be. The source saying is, I'm resilient and I embrace the exhilaration of the unexpected. That's the sort of thing. I am resilient and I embrace the exhilaration of the unexpected. So on our topic, embracing the unexpected in life and business. My special guest is Thalda DeCoriat. She's got some knowledge to draw, especially being a cannabis expert and a brand builder. She received her Bachelor of Arts degree from Duke University and her MBA from Columbia University's Graduate School of Business. Mrs. Corriott has delivered award-winning innovation and consumer-inspired multimedia campaigns. She's created profitable brand growth at companies including Colgate-Palmolive, Avon, and Heineken. She previously led the National Mango Boards, marketing across the consumer, retail, and food service verticals. After a long career in New York City, Mrs. Corriott now calls Florida her home. And now we'll get to experience the brilliance and beauty of my classmate, Val. Welcome to SOAR, Val. Thank you for having me. It's so good to be here. I am so happy that this podcast interview is bringing us together. We've known each other for... I guess it's over 30 years now, right? Yep. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's hard to believe, but we're college classmates and I just love my Duke classmates and we'll use any excuse in order to get together with you guys. That's right. (laughs) So today is serving a dual purpose. I've been admiring all of your accomplishments and rooting for you from afar So I'm so happy to have you on the show and allow you to share your story with us. Uh, We were originally going to talk about cannabis because you're making some big contributions in that space, but we've expanded the topic to embracing the unexpected in life and business. So I would love for you just to tell myself and my audience a little bit about yourself and what this topic means to you. Sure.
1: So, you know, I uh, just reached a milestone, right? Turned 50. Can't Mm -hmm. believe it. Oh my goodness. Five decades on the planet. You're the baby
0: Uh, of the group. Most of us have already turned 50.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it. I'll take it. And so, you know, when you reach these milestones, you just uh, do become very reflective, I think, you know. And so, thinking about the topic, I never would have imagined that, number one, that I would be working in cannabis. So, that was not something ever in life that I thought I would be. But secondly, COVID, right, and how that changed our lives. Mm. Having three children, right, a 23 and 19 and a 14-year-old navigating all of this, which was so unexpected, right? Uh, It's impacted our personal lives. It's impacted certainly business. Mm -hmm. And I don't take it lightly. You know, I think it's a moment that's going to define certainly a generation probably, but also has given us all an opportunity maybe to reassess and to think about, you know, how we live. And so for me, that's that's why I think it was a combination of both turning 50 and just the circumstances of COVID that, that had me thinking about the unexpected and what that really means and, and how we continue to thrive, really, not just survive.
0: Mm. That is definitely true. We have had a lot of unexpected events, it feels like, for the past two years. So I can't wait to get your perspective on a lot of that. But since we were going to talk about cannabis, I'd like to start with cannabis. I'm really curious to know
1: what your role is in the cannabis industry and how you got started. Sure. So I am the chief marketing officer for TrueLeave And TrueLeave is one of the top three MSOs. We call them MSOs, multi-state organizations, because we are not yet national per se, based on federal regulations. But the biggest companies of which I I, uh, work for one certainly has a presence in multiple states. We are now in six states. And my responsibility is to continue to shape the brand of the company, Mm -hmm. as well as build brands within that cover our product portfolio. It includes everything from our digital marketing presence to some of our community engagement, in fact. So it's you know, both what I would say is traditional marketing with a mix of kind of grassroots activism in a way, and also just bringing people together and showing what the possibilities are, right, in this particular space. And I say that because it's it's a lot bigger than just a product. The cannabis industry certainly has a long history, a history here in the United States. And for many of us, of color who are in the industry you know we take it very seriously given the really the, the awful circumstances that it has placed a number of black and brown people so yes. there is absolutely a social equity component to this so I take the responsibility of being a c-suite member right um, at, at a successful cannabis company very seriously so for me I mean I'm I'm here and you know doing my job but I know I represent more Absolutely. So, your company, you said it's an MSO
0: or multi-state organization. So, do they supply medical marijuana, you know, throughout these states? What other, uh, is, is, is that what the company does or what else does the company do, do?
1: Yeah, each state has different regulations, right? So, the company started, truly started in Florida and it is a medical market, But we also have expanded and have a presence in California and Connecticut and Pennsylvania and soon Massachusetts. So, California, we know, uh, has been recreational for many years. But, for example, Massachusetts has both medicinal as well as recreational or adult use, as some people refer to it. So, we operate within states, within the confines of the laws in those states. So it's really based on that local regulation. So then that makes your
0: job that much more exciting and challenging because you have to market differently depending on what state you're in and what their laws and regulations are.
1: Oh, absolutely. In (laughs) fact, I chose not to go to law school, but I do read regulations and I have to be very familiar with the laws, including as well digital, because you're not allowed to, uh, for example, there's no paid media. So a lot of the tools, for example, you know, when I worked at Heineken or colgate Palm of some of the bigger consumer packaged goods brands, you know, the way you build a brand in those spaces is very different uh, mm-hmm. than how you do that in cannabis. So, navigating and the tools that you use and how you use existing tools is really different. And I think also it it's a continuously evolving market, right? So, people's perceptions of cannabis are evolving, shifting. Uh, we're seeing a lot of laws changing, even in the recent election. Uh, we're also Actually, I think there's probably a lot of people who have bought in and who believe in this that folks would be surprised by (laughs) your next door neighbor, (laughs) (laughs) maybe your tennis instructor, right? Maybe somebody you're playing golf with, you know, and so that's been one of the most fascinating realizations for me, to be honest, uh, is how broad the demographics are that there's no one type of person Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: that is consuming.
0: And you talked about perceptions. Mm -hmm. I feel like perceptions are so important and it's really wonderful that you're in this role of marketing because I think there are a lot of misperceptions Mm -hmm. and a lot of myths. So what would you say are some of the top myths that you would just like to bust about cannabis?
1: Yeah, I think number one is that cannabis is inherently bad for you. Mm -hmm. You know, when I, you know, because I am just naturally a curious person in any product or category I've worked on, I probably read more about it a bit of a geek in that sense, right? So you look at the plant and it's been around for thousands of years, mm-hmm. you know, going all the way back to countries in Asia, certainly in terms of the hemp form, right? So there was clothing and, and so many just different products that were made from this one plant. And so, it's not inherently bad for you. There's lots of different types of cannabis, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's always about a knowledge base, right? How much do you actually know about this particular strain or variety of it, you know? And then your own personal physiology, Mm -hmm. right? So one of the myths for me is it's inherently bad. I think the second, another one I would say is, um, you know, almost like all cannabis has the same effect on you it's it's a twist on that that first myth but because i come from a, a medical market especially i would caution people you know uh, especially when i think about the african american community of on self-medicating yeah right there are studies there are some countries israel actually i believe has the broadest base of cannabis research in the world you know, we haven't gotten there yet because of the laws here, but I'm sure when we start, when there's more research that's done on the plant and its effects, we'll probably find more benefits than than actual harm. And I think a lot of people know that already. <laughs> there's other reasons why it's not fully legal yet. So, those two for me are probably the top myths. And the, ne- the third one, which also relates to kind of, you know, it's all the same, is that there is this assumption, I remember when I left my last role, they couldn't believe I was going to work in cannabis because they envisioned, I guess, just me being surrounded by stoners and people who can't, <laughs> can't function, you know? Can't contribute meaningfully to society, you know? But you already heard me hint at some of that, right? I know athletes that are that are using cannabis, right, um, for recovery, right, in terms of pain. And all of that. So I'm thinking, okay, number one, we are a very big business. You know, we have certified public accountants. We've got, you know, finance people. We've got people who are in operations and manufacturing. So no, everybody that works at the company, you know, is not high. You can't (laughs) to operate machines and to do your job right. But even people who are, you know, using cannabis, they're not all walking around in a fog. You know, there's actually a lot of People who are contributing very meaningfully to society and cannabis is a part of their life, their lifestyle in some cases, and in other cases, it helps them function better and be a better person. But again, you know, the movies, they'll have to tell you otherwise, you know, you you watch the movies and you really do think that there's only one type. Right. Well, I'm so
0: glad that you cleared those myths up. What I took away from what you said, or one of the things I took away from what you said is that it's not bad inherently. It does more good than harm. We're still in the process of doing the research, but that it affects everybody's body differently. And so it's not appropriate to self-medicate. And I love that. I have a lot of patients that I interact with who cannabis is a part of their medical Mm -hmm. regimen. We don't prescribe it, but we're aware that that's what they're taking. And we take that into consideration when we're prescribing other medications. And I think that that's a really... It feels like a safer way to do it Mm -hmm. um, instead of the patients kind of just using whatever type they can get their hands on that they don't know what effect it'll have on their body.
1: Yeah, and I, and that and I just think the safety factor, right? So, you know, all CBD is also not the same. And mm-hmm. so, I, you know, I would maybe I'm just a more cautious person. But if you're going to use them, you might want to rely on what's provided legally because it's tested. Mm-hmm. It actually is tested by independent, you know, third party labs to say that it's safe to consume.
0: Absolutely. And do you think that some of these myths have been particularly harmful for the African-American
1: community? Oh, absolutely. The association with use in criminals or Mm -hmm. criminal behavior is 100%, I think, why many African-Americans have shied away from even admitting, right, that now the younger generation... (laughs) That's a different story. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Let's just say those, you know, 22 and under, let's call it or whatever, 23 and under, they certainly approach life (laughs) very differently. You know, although... Again, here, it's, you know, legal age is really 21 or 18 in some states, so I don't want to mislead folks, but I do know that, let's say the under 30, there you go, They, uh, they approach life a little bit differently, and so, you know, they're loud and proud about it, many of them, but... I do think that we've had a fear of even possession, right, of it, Mm -hmm. because you could be incarcerated for a small amount, you know, and now, of course, there's a lot of movement in terms of, you know, reversing some of those sentences, or or maybe commuting sentences, I would say, but um, I don't know the legal term, but for sure, we're trying to right some some prior wrongs. So, you talked about your milestone birthday. Mm -hmm. Were there
0: any reflections that came up, for you, as you reflected on that milestone, that you think would be helpful to share with other women?
1: I think we're too hard on ourselves. I think number one, we don't take care of ourselves enough. Many, many women, many sisters especially, I know, are more focused on caring for others, but we do. We carry our strength as a badge of honor, right? And a lot of times, although we may appear strong on the outside, right, the stress, or, you know, skipping those doctor's appointments, or skipping that mental health day, right, Mm -hmm. to just take a walk and decompress or whatever, has some really harmful effects on our health. And and I've seen it, you know, unfortunately, there are people who didn't make it to 50. Mm -hmm. Right. And you know, that's that's not lost on me. You know, as I, as I observed some people that, you know, very much that I care about. I, I even, I have to say this too, my dad actually died unexpectedly and before the age of 50. Oh, wow. And it wasn't until an aunt, his, his sister, uh, who is a registered nurse, was going through some of the paperwork that he had been diagnosed with diabetes. And I said, diabetes? Like he didn't have diabetes his entire life. So I bring this up simply because I think it's more to the theme of really taking each day as best we can. And I know it's busy and I know we have a lot of responsibilities and so forth. And certainly when you have children, it's hard to slow down. But for me, my reflection was that I matter. My life matters. My happiness actually matters, right? Yeah. And focusing on those things is actually okay. You don't have to solve everybody's problem. You don't have to solve it all today. <laughs> you know? And so, being hard on ourselves if we if we don't get it done, if we didn't do everything, I think for me is is one and and it's funny because I remember some older women in my family They used to look at me so busy, you know, I was always, you know, I guess they called me type A and I had a timeline and I had to get this done by a certain age and ambition and drive and working long hours all the time. And they would tell me to slow down. Mm. And I remember them telling me this in my 20s and in my 30s right? (laughs) I think the third kid came along, and that's finally what did it. (laughs) I was like, my husband and I were like, we're outnumbered. Okay, it's not two to two anymore. It's three on two. So maybe that, you know, that third child is the one that put me over. But I think that's, that's actually one of the things I wish I had slowed down and, and now come to think of it, because the baby, he's 14, you know, he gets more of my time. And the girls notice it, and uh, I tell them, "Y'all just don't understand." I just, I'm tired now, so <laughs> so I slow down because I kind of need to. But I realize that maybe I should have done that even earlier, right? And that that time for me would have made me an even better mom, you know. For example, you know, and just a better person all the way around.
0: Yeah, I think that that cannot be said enough to take care of ourselves and that it's okay to slow down. It's okay to take a break and it's okay to choose our happiness. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I definitely think that we still need to hear that over and over because it's so ingrained in us Mm -hmm. that, We have to hear it over and over and from people that we admire from for people from people who we know are successful or meet the criteria of our definition of success. Mm -hmm. So in that same vein, I think sometimes we work hard and we plan and we go, 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 because we want to have this expected life. We want to plan everything and we want everything to be as close to perfect as it can. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about embracing the unexpected. So what is one of the most unexpected things that you've encountered in business? And Mm -hmm. how did you
1: approach that and eventually embrace it? Oh, boy, there are many. The unexpected, I'll give you one. I actually was fired once. (laughs) (laughs) and that was unexpected I'm sure of course it was unexpected but you know what it was one of those things and even just saying it is freeing right Mm -hmm. because for someone who had always been such a high achiever never failed at anything I think you know in hindsight I should have quit yeah I was miserable miserable in that role but I held on to it because I'd never quit anything in my life Mm -hmm. knew it wasn't right knew the person or people I was working with weren't right but I held on because somehow superwoman right Mm -hmm. would always find a way make a way and they did me a favor Yeah, they gave you the gift of freedom, right? They gave me the gift of freedom. That's 100% right. And it's funny because afterwards, I was so mad at myself for not having been the one to make that decision, you know, for myself and not, I would say, almost not valuing myself enough, Mm -hmm. worrying about what other people would think about that. And when I look back, I say she was crazy like that woman really <laughs> wasn't right. And it was in a role that really wasn't going to go very far, you know, but again, I thought I was a miracle worker, uh, so I had to deal with that. Now, that that's sort of a, a personal business experience. But I would say another sort of unexpected um, thing that happened for me in business was One time I was reassigned to a role and initially I thought it was a step down, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but it was actually a ladder up. Wow. Yes. Plot twist. Yes. So I was uh, moved from what I thought was a more complex business, you um, you know, that I had worked hard to get. And then when I was moved over to the other one, which was actually returning to a business that I had worked on before, what I didn't realize is the reason they put me on that business was because it was under competitive pressure. Mm. And so putting me on that business with the knowledge base that I had had because I had worked on it previously meant that I was best equipped in the company to come in and fix it. hmm. And so that was one of those moments where, you know, I said, things aren't always what they seem, right? Right. You do need to ask questions, though, because if had I not been so blinded by why are they moving me? (laughs) Why, you know, why am I being taken off of this seemingly, you know, really plum assignment and putting me back on something? I don't want to work on that brand anymore. I worked on it before. You know, Uh, I want something new. I want something different. Well, the reality was that although it was the same brand, it was different, Mm -hmm. because I was coming back to it three years later, and the competitive circumstances had heated up so much. I mean, you're talking about a major competitor spending more on advertising dollars, you know, running more couponing, let's say, you know, at at various retailers. I mean, the pressure was just there, and when I finally embraced it Mm. was when you saw, right, just me elevate, right? Lifting the business actually elevated me and put me in a position to then go on to a global role which had me traveling the world and then you know it the rest is history. but it really was one of those moments where I think you know we have to not always look at what's on the surface uh, when decisions are made that are out of our control, right. And I think that was also a part of it was I didn't like it because I thought I could, chart my course right I could determine every next step and this was one that wasn't in my plan but was certainly in somebody else's plan but just embracing that and saying you know what it's okay and and let me just rise or or do the best in this particular moment and never lose sight of that so I think that was actually a really big lesson for me and I I never um, look down let's say on any brand assignment or you know ever again after that point because it was uh, definitely a shining moment and you know I actually have the experience of turning a business around and have that and I've spoken to that specific example in every job interview I've had since that happened right (laughs) and again it, it started with me wondering oh no are they putting me in this because this is like you know step one of me on the way out and it was quite the opposite Yeah, I I think that it's very
0: natural when something is unexpected and not according to our plan for us to have that resistance. Mm -hmm. And we just want to resist it because we don't necessarily see where it's going or how it fits in. And like you said, the moment that you sort of relaxed and embraced it,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: everything unfolded and it worked out for your good, for the good of the company. So it was ultimately... I, I would say probably a divine assignment. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That was that was very inspiring. Any personal examples in your personal life? of oh, Unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> unexpected
1: things. This is one of my favorites. Um, I guess when I when I write my memoir or my autobiography, I can't leave this one out. So I had never been politically involved, never ran for student government in high school, college, anything, right? And the 2008 elections were coming up, and I wanted to get engaged. And I did. I looked at the Clinton campaign, and then I approached the Obama campaign, right? This was during the first run. And again, here's me, you know, Duke undergrad, Columbia University, MBA, traveling the world for work, right? You would think, why would she want to go and join a political campaign? Now, of course, we know there was history in the making, but at the time I was in New York and that was not the popular choice right I remember I remember it was not the popular choice because Mm -hmm. you're supposed to go with your home team the home senator all of that Mm -hmm. and so I went to what was called Camp Obama where they taught you really the fundamentals of grassroots organizing right not going to the glamorous you know fundraisers this was literally maybe even you know walking in let's say the basketball courts or the areas of a housing project, for example, Mm -hmm. and talking to young people to see are they registered to vote, right? I went into some places that most other people may have been afraid to, but it was all about getting out the vote and making sure that people were registered, you know, people at all levels. And I'll never forget going to that weekend of training. And the next thing you know, we're about to quote unquote graduate, right? So they were actually going to have a bit of a ceremony for all of us who were trained, right? Tens of us. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't 100, I don't think. And wouldn't you know I got tapped to introduce then Senator Obama? <laughs> oh, wow. I was like, what? I got a phone call. (laughs) Right. So somehow in the midst of all of that, you know, learning about campaigns and the cycle and what is, you know, uh, what happens with during caucuses. I mean, really like gritty. Like I said, nothing glamorous. Right. A weekend with a baseball cap on my head, like just, you know wasn't miss corporate at all i thought i was flying under the radar right right <laughs> you know i'm there trying to be as incognito as possible you know and then next thing you know they're like uh uh-uh. we want you know would you would you be open to introducing the senator okay fine so the secret service and all of that and and i say that because that was such a A memorable time for my family because it wasn't just about me introducing him because then the next thing you know, my oldest daughter actually was part of the pre-program for another event. It happened in New York in a park, and she was only in—was she in the fourth grade or so? She was very young at the time, but she got up there on the stage by herself. I didn't go and said her little speech and all of that. But it's one of those again when you embrace the unexpected. Now, when I was you know asked to do that, I could have said no, you know, like Mm -hmm. no, I'm new to this. But it's those moments of me saying yes to things that felt uncomfortable at the Mm -hmm. time, you know, again, never been involved in political campaigns, never did any kind of running for office, anything like that. And then I just show up, you know, at something on a weekend at a church. And next thing you know, the rest is history. I end up being a surrogate, you know, just really... I think soup to nuts, the entire campaign, I was extremely involved. We traveled to South Carolina Mm -hmm. and campaigned and all of that. But it was really a family affair. And I had my son, he was only about, I think, um, a year old at the time in the stroller. So it's just one of those things where I tell people, you know, you just never know. And And I would say that that time and what I learned actually serves me in my job today. Yes, that is an amazing
0: story. I had no idea that was going to be your personal story but talk about. <laughs> talk about embracing the unexpected. So the unexpected can
1: like totally change your life. Hundred mm-hmm. yeah. percent. And, I, and it, you know, it was one of those where we got to be a witness to history, to be a part of history. But I think importantly, it, it made me even braver, right? And, I, and it's one of those, it's, it's almost a similar lesson that I learned as that job assignment that I said to you I thought was a step back, mm-hmm. right? It's one of those where, no, it's not really about always being in, you know, the finest restaurants or, you know, traveling to exotic places or to Europe and those types of things. But some of the greatest growth that I have ever gotten in life has been from things that I didn't plan, right, that I was just open to at the time. Again, Mm -hmm. I could have said no. I could have quit that the company that you know moved me in that assignment. I could have said they don't appreciate me, they don't value me. I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. I didn't, right? Likewise, I could have gone to this uh, grassroots organizing training. Um, again, nothing glamorous, and said, uh, that's all right. I learned it. Let me just go home, <laughs> you know. But I stuck with it, but really because I believed in it, right? Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, I'm like, whoa, okay. Next thing you know, we're at an inauguration. I never could have. You know, of course, I believed he could win, but it was more about the process of just almost being selfless and rising. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't the moment was never about me. It was about something bigger than bigger me, bigger than you mm-hmm. and you must have knocked that
0: introduction out of the park for it to have <laughs> led to all of those other things <laughs> so, so It was an unexpected moment but you also understood that it was an important moment and treated it thusly yeah i prayed
1: i was like <laughs> i said oh jesus i have my little index card she's like valda what are you doing up here <laughs> it was oh, awesome oh that is awesome
0: so now we're all dealing with the unexpected and we alluded to it a little while ago with the pandemic and even with the vaccines, we, we don't exactly know how it's going to work when, when we'll be able to not be socially distanced. So I just wanted to know what you think makes it so tough for
1: many of us to deal with the unexpected and what advice do you have? Well, you know, I had this conversation with my 19-year-old daughter. So I mentioned the oldest and the baby. My 19-year-old and I were talking the other day and she was expressing all the positives of herself and you know, this, that, and the other. And I said, uh-huh. I let her keep talking. I was just listening and listening. And she's like, but once that word that butt got in there, I said, ah, I said, that is actually what I would say is given me a sense that maybe your faith isn't strong enough. Mm-hmm. And so I believe that it's hard for many of us to deal with the unexpected. Perhaps for some of us, you've never, you know, in your, in your entire life, right? Things have just gone pretty well. And so approaching something that you've never seen before is scary, Right. I would use the example of, of the smaller unexpected. Right. So I said to my 19 year old, remember when there would be a snowstorm and school was canceled or a storm and the power goes out. Right. Those are somewhat expected, but you didn't know the extent to which you'd have to deal with things that are uncomfortable or inconvenient. Right what did we do during those times and what I said to her I said remember what we did we all pulled together right Mm -hmm. pretty much in one room Mm -hmm. we leaned on each other you know you and your sister would hold hands and walk to the bathroom together in the dark or whatever right So, for me, I feel like, you know, dealing with the unexpected is some of the ways that I cope, I'll just say. Advice that I I would share, you know, for those who believe in spirituality or have a faith, for sure, prayer. But even if you don't, you have to, I think, grab onto and lean on others, other people. And that also may make people a bit uncomfortable, right? So, the way that I've dealt with it has been by reaching out even more to Mm -hmm. folks that maybe I had lost even you Stephanie didn't we we got on a zoom call right our classmates all of a sudden we're reconnecting yes through all of this Mm -hmm. it lightens the load it does you know it's hard for us to even and I think talking it out (laughs) that's another thing right So, you know, how do you deal with the unexpected? Don't hold your thoughts in. You got to share them with somebody. Mm. No matter how far out there you might think they are, right? I mean, there's all the theories about (laughs) COVID. Where did it start? You know, who started it? You know, who brought it here? This, that, and the other. And, you know, to me, I've just, the more I have talked it out with as many people as I can. And, you know, you have to be willing to be vulnerable, Right. In those instances that I find that I have more and more people that have a lot in common with me. So the unexpected hits, you almost feel like what you're dealing with, you're alone Mm -hmm. in that you're unique in that. And I mean, whatever it is, if it brings some financial challenges, if it brings some health challenges, all of that in order to make your way out of it one you have to make it known what the need is so that's what i mean by talking it out yeah you have to lean on people right and i think one of the biggest things my husband and i were were talking about this the other day i said you know what i miss more than anything is and this is where i'm gonna age my date myself of course i'm only 50 but still i remember when community was community Mm. Where you actually knew your neighbors really well, right? And your neighbors would be watching your kids to say, "Yeah, I saw. Took you know, they took a new way home, right. you know, today <laughs> from the bus stop. I don't know where she was going or he was going, right? But I saw him about you know, you know, three forty-five <laughs> or something like that, heading that way. So the days when we had more community, I think we were able to weather even greater storms right Mm. and that's the type of thing as 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 we've been dealing with COVID and all of that I have spent the time almost giving my children a history lesson right so there's these teachable moments and I'm bringing them way back and I'm you know not telling them i walk five miles to school you know (laughs) in the snow (laughs) snow (laughs) right (laughs) I didn't tell them that but whenever I saw those moments of doubt or like I said to my 19 year old I said your faith is shaken It's not strong enough because I said, those who have a strong faith, they don't worry. They know that God or whoever you you believe in, you know, has got this. And so... That's actually, for me, um, I think the way that I've dealt with the unexpected is just realizing that I'm not alone, you know, talking it out, opening myself up uh, to other people uh, in terms of how I'm feeling about things or what I'm seeing and knowing, you know, that maybe they don't all agree with me, but at least that listening ear kind of helps you navigate and figure out next step forward. Uh, Beyond that, I would say, I do think that we need to turn the TV and social media off more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because that'll have you thinking things are far worse <laughs> in a lot of instances than they actually are. Absolutely. That is great advice. I know I'm going to take
0: that advice and put it into use uh, right away. You shared about your your business career and mm-hmm. you're a C-suite executive. And I know a lot of people who listen to the Sword podcast and show are interested in becoming a c-suite executive and having a lot of success in business so while we have you here i would love for you to share any maybe just like three pieces of advice you would give for somebody who's aspiring to get to where you are in your business career
1: so number one i would say never stop learning some of my um the people that have been most influential in my life in my career have pointed to them continuing to learn mm-hmm. right this there was a, the ceo of colgate palmolive at the time that i was there you know Ruben mark and and who succeeded him was ian um ian cook they were they they read a lot hmm And so you might think that someone who's finally arrived at, you know, the ultimate, you know, level of CEO of a company that they've got it all figured out, but they know they don't. So that's number one is um, always be curious, continuously learn. The second thing I would say is, aside from perfecting your craft, and I think reading and being continuously curious will help you there. You also need to develop your own, and people talk about this like a board of directors, right? A board of advisors. Yep. And those people, you know, don't need to work at the company that you're at, right? Sometimes it's better (laughs) to have folks who are not within the same company, but you certainly need some within. You know, there's different people that you can surround yourself with, whether it's a sponsor or a mentor or a coach and all of those things. The other thing I would say is the corporate world shouldn't be a mystery to folks. <laughs> and the reason I say that is I am an En-ROADS alumna, okay? And I say that because had it not been for Inroads, I probably would not have entered corporate America as young as I did. I entered corporate America the summer after my senior year in high school, mm. okay? And... I bring that up because when I was uh, more engaged and more involved with Inroads, I used to go back and speak to young people. Now, En-ROADS was designed uh, to be a pathway, really, for underrepresented minorities uh, to enter business. And coming from humble beginnings, right? You know, I talk about not being afraid to go into the housing projects to register people to vote and all of that. I would often speak to young people and say, you know what, that same survival, your street smarts Mm -hmm. that you learned on the playground, right? Or, you know, surviving your neighborhood, guess what? You gonna need those instincts in corporate America too. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: People are people. You know, and they may dress a little bit differently, their names might sound a little bit different, but at the end of the day, I would credit Yes, I got a good college education. You know, yes, there were some people who identified my potential early and nurtured it and and wanted to see me succeed. But, it's a big but, but, (laughs) I would say street smarts, instincts, savvy, right? Trusting what you feel, right? Mm -hmm. in, In certain moments and running with that is actually extremely important. Mm. Because when I say people are people, oftentimes, and I've changed companies, I'll meet someone and I observe them. And actually, that's a very important, actually, that's another bit of advice I will give. When you join any new role, whatever it is, the best thing you can do in the beginning is keep your mouth shut, (laughs) listen, watch and observe, because people will show you who they are right Mm -hmm. who they are aligned with let's say right you start to see you know uh, some of the same things and I I joke with my, my kids because they hear some of these war stories a lot of times when we're just eating dinner or just talking you know sitting around the living room and I say to them I'm like honestly you will have met probably everybody Every personality type every character right that you will ever meet in your life five times and so I don't ever want any of these young people who may be like you know uh, you know intimidated let's say right by the fact that um, somebody may introduce themselves a certain way in uh, you know country club upbringing or whatever it is to think that you can't you um, sit in a room and be able to contribute meaningfully at the right time. So for me, I think it's a combination of, yes, my educational background, um, the right training, but I also do believe that the stuff that I learned on the playground, (laughs) 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 you know, or... Who knows? I don't know. Walking, you know, the streets of New York Mm -hmm. actually gave me the best training that I possibly could to be able to go into a boardroom. The other thing I won't negate as well is if you played sports, Mm. and I like sports a lot because of strategy, right? To winning, how you lose is important as well. You know how you how you react to a loss. And then yeah, I mean sometimes people throw elbows, sometimes people stick a foot out and try to trip you, right? You're right? All of those things, you know, you learn people's movements and their actions and you figure out pretty quickly, you know, how to also adapt to that or to bring people along to join your team as well. So, those are all things that I can't give every anyone a road map, but I can say that trust your instincts. You know, be the best at what you do, you know, continue to hone and perfect your craft. But don't you know, I I wouldn't say don't don't negate some of those things, that wisdom that you gained outside of corporate America.
0: Yeah, I love that. I, I have not heard that before in that order of advice so i appreciate you sharing that but one of the things that you mentioned was sponsors and there's been a running question in the soar community about how do you obtain sponsors Hmm.
1: how do you obtain sponsors wow i'll tell you one time i just walked up to somebody that i thought should be my sponsor (laughs) didn't know they'd become my sponsor Yeah. Quite honestly, I just it was a moment where and I remember one of my peers, because when we came into companies, a lot of times they hire like a recruiting class, right? There's a class of you that come in at the same time. And I had missed out uh, because I was pregnant. Actually, when I started working, I had missed out on meeting some um, executives in the company because I was on maternity leave. So, when I came back, uh, one of my, my uh, colleagues, <clears throat> she says, oh, yeah, you see, you know, so-and-so across the room. And I was like, oh, yeah. I said, uh, you guys had breakfast with them the other day, right, and whatever. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, it was a great conversation, kind of rubbing it in, right. I was on maternity <laughs> leave. I didn't take my career as seriously. And she was so happy that she had one up me, right, supposedly. Mm-hmm. I took one look at her with her gloating self and made a beeline across the room, put my hand out, firm handshake, and guess what, embraced the fact that we had not met because I was on maternity leave. And what that did was, of course, it opened the door to, oh, how's the baby? You know, it it became mm-hmm. not just a business conversation, but a human conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think the 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 embracing of that moment. You see what I said though, in terms of trusting your instinct and what you learn right mm-hmm. on, on the playground. playground. Yep. I looked at that gloating. I said, oh, you think you got this now? Uh huh. Okay. Let me let me just show you a little something. So I've I sw- seen this personality before. Yeah. I know how to deal with this. Exactly, exactly. So I did the unexpected and she was stunned that I was that bold, right? Mm-hmm. To walk across the room like that. And I think that that moment actually did say something about me. So that actually exhibited a bit of confidence, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you go about getting a sponsor? I would say maybe in that moment, I was lucky. Um, The other way I would say is I've had mentors, right, who Mm -hmm. could not necessarily be sponsors, who if you keep the relationship going with those people, and I mean, I'm talking about my inroad advisor from back when I was, you know, a freshman in college, I still keep in touch with her to this day. Wow! So some of these people, right, that again, like I said, who may not have been in a position, right? at such a high level in these corporations to open a door for me, they gave very good advice. And so I think if you have someone trusted, right, that is in mm-hmm. your industry and you talk to them and you feel the need, you know, you feel like you, you need a sponsor. Honestly, I've asked people, ask, yeah. ask people. And you would be amazed who knows who. Mm-hmm. That was the other bit. And, and talk about unexpected. I got to throw this in there. So I'm going to throw another name out there. Ann Fudge, right? Back mm-hmm. in my day when I was starting out, she was one of the few CEO, black female CEOs out there. Probably the only one at the time. And I'll never forget that I was working at Pitney Bowes in Stanford, Connecticut, in human resources before I went to business school. And someone who was a mentor of mine, his name was Noel Baird. He just was talking to me and I said, you know, I'm thinking about going to business school and this, that, and the other. Somehow he looked at me in that moment and said, there's someone that I think you should talk to. Do you know it was Ann Fudge? (laughs) And she was working at the Maxwell House Coffee Company, right? Mm -hmm. So I had never met her before in my life. Didn't even know that this man, Noel, knew her. Okay. Somehow he calls her up you know gives gives me her personal number, tells her I'll call I call her that evening. <laughs> And then it was through that conversation that she gave me the confidence then to apply to business school, you know, and said, you know, listen, a lot of people have done one role, you know, before business school, you go into business school and then you're able to pivot or transition into, you know, a different path within corporate. And so there's nothing that would be in your way. She gave excellent advice. Now, I wouldn't call her a sponsor, right? She could have been given the level that she was, but my point is more that Noel, you know, was someone who could identify a sponsor for me. And so it was a conversation with him that then led to doors being opened for me to have sponsorship. So it's not always, sometimes you're lucky. Like I said, like I did, I walked across that room and walked right into... You know, shaking the hands of someone who became a sponsor. But then in other, at other times, it's been, um, honestly, just other people who have introduced me to someone who then introduced me to somebody else. And you just, you just have to continuously, I think, you know, seek, seek those relationships out. Yeah, that that
0: was a great unexpected story. So I'm glad that we got it in there because uh, that was amazing. And it sort of reminds me of in medicine, you have the science and then you have the art. And it sounds like when we ask the question, how do you get a sponsor? We're kind of thinking about, is there a scientific explanation like A, B, C, D? But it sounds like it's more of an art and it's more of cultivating relationships being able to ask the questions, just kind of going out there. So it's not a one size fits all. No. The way you get a sponsor is going to be different than the way someone else gets a sponsor. But that was a great, great answer. And as we're talking about your confidence to be able to go up and shake the hands and even your confidence to be able to call and Fudge. I mean, I could see myself getting the phone number and then being terrified to make the phone call. <laughs> I always talk about limiting beliefs on this on this mm-hmm. show. So somebody would love to hear if you had any limiting beliefs that came up for you uh, I- at any point in your career and how you were able to overcome them.
1: Yeah, um I had a lot of them to be honest. So, uh you know, the imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. I'm sure this has been talked about, you know, uh, by many people, but the limiting belief for me, I think, was despite all of the levels that I had achieved, right, the steps that I had taken, again, if you had looked at things on paper for me, you would never believe that along that journey that I still had Mm self-doubt and at times questioned And this is more of a deep internal, right? I'm very good at not showing on the outside. (laughs) I don't play poker, but I guess I have a good poker face, whatever. But it's all an internal, right? Do you believe that you belong there, right? And that's, I think those moments when I've allowed myself, especially to sort of step out of it again, back to introducing, you know, now president, former president Obama, Did I believe that I belong on that stage, right? Somebody else would have said, I've never done this. I don't have experience in this. I'm not going to do that. But I said, no, no, no. There's a reason why I was asked. So the mere fact that I was asked meant that I needed to answer the calling. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two, I've had enough times in my life where I have proven to myself that I belonged in the room. Yes. Okay. So I still i I've acknowledged my own disbelief in myself, mm-hmm. but still pushed through and stepped through that door anyway. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's one of those things where. You know, my my support system, I, I have to mention my grandmother, right? So my grandmother, I think the level of education she had would be the equivalent of maybe a sixth grade education in the U.S., right? So she's from a small island in the Caribbean, Dominica. She was one of the wisest, fiercest women I knew. okay she was married raised her kids raised her grandkids so that was her job right she was that was she was mom and and grandma but I'll never forget that you know she had this stature number one she was six feet tall I didn't get that height okay (laughs) she was tall commanding presence and I think she drilled into me and she tried to drill it into all her grandkids that there was nothing that we could not do. Mm-hmm. And if I wanted to be president of the United States one day, I could be, right? So this woman literally, I think all along every year that she was alive and she was alive to see all three of my children born, you know, she is that voice. hmm. So, you know, when I say limiting beliefs, I have this counter, right? I got, I have the, the Valda who was a little girl, you know, who remembers coming up from the Caribbean and had a little funny accent and didn't have the coolest clothes and all that kind of stuff, you know, so I'd be reading my book. I guess that served me well. (laughs) (laughs) Academics served me well. But that strong support system that I had at home, I think no matter what I faced when I left the house right my grandmother was always there when we came home from school and so telling her stories of what happened during the day who didn't like me who gave me a hard time this that and the other but somehow and then always cheering for you so I think everybody really needs at least that one person in their life you know, who is not just a whisper that I believe in you, but also is that voice that that you will walk with your entire and I honestly to this day, I still say it's my grandmother, you know, okay. for, for me, she's passed, she's passed and everything. But it's one of those things that she's the counterbalance to when I doubt myself, I think, you know, that imposter syndrome or, you know, the limiting beliefs that that you question that you asked. I don't know why we have that Esther. I really don't. Why do we not believe? I think that we,
0: we start off believing because if you think about like a two or three year old girl, she would stand in the mirror and declare that she is awesome, that she is, and not think twice about it. Mm-hmm. I think over time, society piles on so much negativity that we forget who we are and we start to take in what other people or who other people tell us that Mm -hmm. we are and and you know circumstances you know you know kids in elementary school kids in middle school you know other adults who don't affirm us i think it just kind of piles on and if you don't have that strong counter narrative Mm -hmm. you can start to you can start to let it seep in Mm -hmm. and as you were talking it it reminds me that my grandmother is that person for me Mm -hmm. and um she passed a long time ago when I was when I was 12 but what that reminds me of is that I want to remember her voice more often Mm -hmm. so I am going to call on her voice more often um, because she was that person for me so I thank you for reminding me of that
1: Mm -hmm. yeah I just um You know, and it's funny, because other family members remember uh, how my grandmother would talk, uh, you know, talk up really, (laughs) a lot of her grandkids, but especially me, I was the oldest one of her grandkids in the US. And so, you know, it was one of those where she just never let doubt enter my mind, you know, And, and when she saw it. Oh, no, we had to work that out. (laughs) And I think that's where I get to talk it out. You know, like, what is it that's on your mind? Don't hold it in kind of thing, you know. And it, it was really she was she was magical. You know, I remember I started to gosh, there's so much I still need to do. I used to make up stories at night for my children as they're going to sleep, right? At one point it was reading books and then I got tired of those and then I said, okay. And, you know, I remember my older daughter recently said, mommy, why have you never written down those stories? And the stories were always steeped in this magical, almost mystical woman, which was based on my grandmother, right? And her, which was the truth, she saw everything. (laughs) (laughs) So you didn't dare lie to her? And she lived in the house next, i never forget it. It had an upstairs and she'd be in that window, mm-hmm. you know? And she knew I was over there playing soccer or kicking a soccer ball with those boys and I was the only girl. And why are you over, you know? She, I was like, how did you see that? Like, what right. this woman got eyes everywhere? Exactly. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but it's one of those things where, yeah, I mean, I think we all need that. And I, you know, I guess I do want to let your listeners know as well, no matter how confident some people may appear, We are all still walking around. The most confident person you know is still walking around with, you know, some doubt, right? Mm -hmm. Some worry that they're going to mess something up, some insecurity, I'll call it, right? And again, I am very self-aware and I tap into that. I'm like, okay, I know this is how I'm feeling, But again, I do draw on either her voice or I've now had, and and to your point about reaffirming, right, reaffirmations, I've now had enough examples over the years Mm -hmm. of success that I've seen success more than I've seen failure, right? And Mm -hmm. so I also draw on those moments, even though it's not, let's say, in this company because I've only been here 14 or whatever, 15 months, but I know what it is to really operate at a very high level to deliver great presentations winning campaigns and all of that but it's one of those where you have to really dig deep and and find that source you know that's going to carry you forward and you know what if it's not somebody that you've had in your life sometimes you call on a person that you admire mm-hmm. right in history I often do I watch things that uh, from the civil rights era or before And I do, I say it to my kids, they're like, here she goes again. (laughs) I say, every time you all think your life is so hard, right? Imagine if. And so, you know, I just, I really, I think, you know, we, as black people, you know, as women, for sure, we have so much that we can call upon, even if it's not mm-hmm. success that we see in the present that we know. Uh, the simplest thing I say is the fact, the mere fact that I'm here and that I exist. Yes. That I come from that lineage that survived that slave ship, right? Across <laughs> those choppy waters. So my mere existence, you know, is powerful in and of itself. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Who, this has been a discussion, and that's a great a great place for us to uh, stop the discussion. but I wanted to ask you for people who may want to follow you or reach mm-hmm. you um, how can they reach out? How can they contact you or follow
1: you Sure well, LinkedIn. <laughs> Is the main social media that I have time for personally. I do also have a Twitter account, so it's at Valda Speak S P E A K, so you can find me there as well. So those are the two main ones. You know, I really, Stephanie, I really enjoyed this time talking with you and reconnecting with you and your audience. Uh, So I 100% applaud you for all that you're doing. I think this is so meaningful to so many of us. And thank you for inviting me, in fact. Thank you. I
0: appreciate that. And I'm so glad that you were able to come. This was so much fun. I said in the beginning, I had two purposes. One was to just reconnect. And then mm-hmm. the other was for us to, you know, explore this topic. And both have been hugely successful.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'll be listening into to some of the future podcasts that you have. <laughs>
0: Thanks for conquering those limiting beliefs on another episode of the SOAR podcast. If you wanna reach out to my guest, just check out the show notes and all of the contact information is there. If you want more information about Stephanie Brown coaching, go to www.stephaniebrowncoaching.com. And I'm sure you're already following the SOAR podcast Instagram page. But if not, just go to IG and type in Sisters Overcoming and Rising, all one word. Goodbye for now.